Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways at how brands interact with properties within sports, film, music, the arts, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Avish Sood. You can follow me at Avish Sood on Twitter to engage with our Sponsor Talk community. And hopefully today you've learned something new about the industry and it keeps challenging you to think differently. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sponsor Talk podcast. Today's guest is one of the most uh, well-known leaders in the sports industry. Um, you know, someone who's always tried to bring up the people around you um, and, and someone not afraid to take some educated risks. We've got Scott O'Neill, who uh, recently resigned as of two days ago. Um, but I mean, Scott, you're, uh, you're leading up the Philadelphia 76ers as well as um, the New Jersey Devils, but a whole bunch of other properties. So kind of wanted to start off saying welcome. Um, excited to have you to talk about a few different things. But firstly, just wanted to get a breadth of, of all the stuff that you're doing uh, specifically for the last eight years with HBSC. Yeah, what a what a run. Um, it's so much fun. You know, when I walked in eight years ago, it was a really struggling small business um, we were tenants in the Wells Fargo Center. We were practicing at uh, a medical college called PECOM. We shared a single court with future doctors. Um, our locker room only had 12 stalls in it. We had 15 players. Our workout room was the size of my bathroom. It was, uh, you know, and from the business side, you know, we, we've, boy, it was, it was tough sledding. We were, you know, we get perfect information from the leagues um from the nba and nhl and at the nba at the time we were 27 28 29 or 30 in all the metrics you know everything from season tickets we were dead last in sponsorship um ratings social media social media engagement social media growth um no international following so, so that's what you start with and then you look you know at my last my last day there and you, you don't spend a lot of time you're in jobs like mine <clears throat> celebrating successes along the way um, but just to to look back and First off, just see the talent in that management team. Holy moly, it's it's a who's who in the sports business. And um, you know, boy, it's uh it's pretty humbling to, to look at that organization and 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 be pretty confident that you know 20 people will be running big sports organizations over the course of their careers. It's uh I've never seen anything like it in terms of attraction of talent. Um, and then you know, the growth, we've we've grown the value of the company over two billion dollars since I've been there in eight years. And uh, you know, it's over six times. So, so um, it's it's been fun. We have a, a venture lab, I'm a venture um, fund. We're on our second one, uh, run by um, Chip Austin and Brad Farkas, who are incredible, incredible venture guys. Um, we have an innovation lab, which incubates early stage companies. Seth Berger and Ryan Truitt run that. Um, John Fasatelli runs our real estate group. Um, Mike Prindeville runs our esports group. Um, you know, we're, we're, we founded a company called Elevate with Al Guido and Jed York and Tim Wiki. Um, at the time, Jared Smith of Live Nation, um, Michael's taking his spot. So, you know, that Elevate has been fantastic. What a treat. And then, uh, you know, Chris Hack runs the Sixers, Jake Reynolds runs the Devils. And then uh, Laura Price, Hugh Weber, um, Hugh, run, you know, runs the company, if you will. And, and then Laura Price, the COO, and <clears throat> Donna Daniels, the general manager of the building. I, mean, I can go on and on. Like, this team is it's unbelievable. Like, to be honest with you, like, it's, it's, it was a dream come true. And, um, and so that's, what, that's where we ended, like a, a big, successful company. Um, Sixers are doing really well. Team wise finished first in the East. Had a tough, tough playoffs, but first in the East. And then, and then the devs are, are on the rise. We're going through a process of our own there. And three years from now, you'll look up and, and they'll be competing for a, a cup every year for the next decade. So, so from my perspective, uh, what a run. I got to work for amazing guys, Josh Harrison, David Blitzer, Michael Rubin, Marty Geller, Mark Leader, Roger Krause. I mean, these guys are 
it's like not only elite deal makers, but elite people. And, uh, they gave, uh, our, our group, our management team, an opportunity to go out and have some fun. And we did. And we, we were very fortunate. You know, we had some tailwinds, which is always good, but man, we built the business. It was fun, fun, fun run. Yeah. And, and I think for everyone listening right now, it's, uh, you're doing a lot, right? So for the last eight years, you're obviously um, leading a bunch of different properties, but you're you're also working with all these different folks that are leaders in our industry, and they're um, they're doing incredible things, and you're you're kind of bringing everyone together. So it's uh, we'll go through it a little bit later on, but uh, I kind of want to talk firstly about how you got to the role in 2013 um, and what that journey was like, because I think initially uh, as a teenager, when I when I was reading up a little bit prior to the interview. Uh, you installed Pepsi machines, you did landscaping, worked as a bouncer, like all these yeah, different yeah. things. Um, let's, let's talk about how you got that first coveted sports job, um, but also just kind of your upbringing and, and start there. I will tell you, I grew up in a, in a really incredible environment with a really strong family that pushed values of hard work, love, and natural consequences. Uh, my folks loved what they did for a living. Um, work for them was fun. It was play. They were leadership development consultants and trainers and they went all around the world doing that and um and we worked and we all worked my brother worked at Burger King I was digging pools I think I got the better end of that um and then when I when I went to, to college I interned with Advantage International and um Harlan Stone and Bruce Schilling were my bosses two of the legendary guys in sports marketing even today and I fell in love I was completely romanced with the business went back to Villanova graduated and, um, you know, I was pretty, I was a very good student. I was a total nerd. I sat in front of the class and raised my hand and went to 8.30 classes and took calculus as an elective and Japanese as an elective. Like, I, I definitely was was a unique, um, what, taking what a unique inspired approach you to, to education. What inspired you to take Japanese as an elective? That's a, not an easy language. You know, it'd, be like taking, it'd be like taking Mandarin now. Like, yeah. Japan was, like, firing on all cylinders. And, Got it. And just like you hear now that China's going to take over the world, we just heard Japan was going to take over the world. So I, I took Japanese. So I thought it'd be interesting. Um, I wasn't very good at it. But, but nonetheless, um, I graduated from school, and um, all my friends had jobs. I didn't. I had an interview for one. Can you imagine getting to the end of your school and not having an interview for a job? Yeah, for, I, for sure. I, and I just... <laughs> <laughs> okay well maybe you know so uh, we, we went to the jersey shore lived in um seattle city new jersey mm-hmm. and they were all relaxed i mean and so was i and uh we all i was i was a, a couple of us were bouncers a couple of us were uh, more barbacks but we, you know we, we didn't work much I, mean, I think i worked three nights a week played a lot of hoop went to the beach a lot went out a lot had some fun and then my mom sent me on an interview um she called she's like look man you, you at some point you're gonna have to work right um, so I went on an interview f- with a, a guy named Paul Bugley, who's since passed away, God rest his soul. Um, and I only remember him because I stayed in touch with him and you'll, you'll even appreciate that more when you know what happened in this interview. So I, I was driving back to, it was around Villanova, so I drove back, I was going to stay with one of my friends who was still in school mm-hmm. and my car broke down. So I hitchhiked back to his house, probably two in the morning by the time I got there and then borrowed his Suzuki Samurai, which is like a little matchbox car with no, you know, no, no roof, no, no doors, nothing. And so in my hair, like kind of sticks straight up. If I don't like mat it down. So I walked in there. I looked like a, I guess like a rocker and he's a bigger fella. So I had his clothes on cause I'd forgotten my clothes. I kind of looked like a clown walking in. And, um, and he proceeded to like dress me down as to why I'm not ready to work. And I wasn't serious about my career or myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, Whoa. And this was one of my mom's clients. So I knew that wasn't going to go well, but, um, but that kind of shook some, some sense into me. I went back home about a month later. It wasn't fun anymore to be sure. And my folks had moved since my high school days, so I didn't know anybody. They moved to Connecticut from New York. And then I just started, you know, this is old days. I'm old. So I was writing letters, you know, writing letters to my dad said, make, make a list of 20 places you want to work. I came downstairs. I was like, here you go. He's like, why are you giving this list to me? I'm like, I don't know. Can you help me with anything? Mm-hmm. He goes, call someone you know that knows somebody in one of these companies. I'm like, dad, I, I don't know. I don't know anyone. He's like, I bet you can figure it out. I was like, all right. And uh, fortunately, you know, I was able to, to network to each of the 20. Not, in, I mean, you know. Um, and and, how'd and you the find them? with the Nets. Like, so how, how'd you find these folks? Because I feel like. Like the Nets, where I ended up. Yeah. It's funny. It's like a guy I went to school with, uh, his folks were season ticket holders at the Nets. So okay. it was one of my friends, Jim Matarazzo at Villanova. Um, I called him and I said, hey, don't you, don't you, uh, you whatever. So 
he got me there, for example. Um, yeah. Like my, my, high, my college girlfriend's brother um, went to law school with somebody at the New York Giants. It was like that. You know, I mm-hmm. was like two, three, four levels out. You know, I was calling everyone I knew and asking them, like, could you get the so-and-so? It's so much easier today. It's like, click, oh, here's a name. I can go reach out to him, call him. Yeah, you, you got oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. There was no LinkedIn. There was no, <laughs> yeah. there wasn't even email. Like I'm writing letters, you know, yeah, and hoping someone enough. responds. And and uh, the Nets responded, you know. So I got an interview and got hired as an assistant marketing assistant. So I was literally picking up dry cleaning, picking up lunch, getting autographs from my boss and his family, teaching his, the guy named Arnie Priebus, longtime Forbes exec, wonderful, wonderful soul. And then John Spolster came in and changed my life. Uh, he he was the longtime president of the Blazers. His son now coaches for the Heat, obviously, Eric Spolster. And uh, he, you know, I was in one Saturday morning and fixing the copier. And he's like, what's your name, kid? Like, and I was thinking I was going to get fired because he was new. Mm-hmm. Um, that was off the radar. And he walks, I, he's like, come in my office. I'm like, oh, man, this was so fun while it lasted. And I was eight months in my job. And he's like, tell me what you do. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's your job? What, I see you everywhere. Like, what, what do you, I was like, well, I'm, I'm Arnie's assistant. Like, I do whatever he wants. But then at night, I put together sponsor proposals. And, you know, it was my idea to, to run the Chuck Daly welcome party. He's like, you ran the party? I was like, no, 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 no. I just wrote the plan. I thought it was an interesting idea to invite the top CEOs in Jersey to come meet, like, an Olympic gold medal coach. Mm-hmm. He's like, huh. I said, oh, the sponsors, kids. That was me, too. He's like, you ran that? I was like, I actually ran that. Because I think the way to get to people's hearts is through kids. Mm-hmm. He's like, huh. Well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to sell sponsorships. Now I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I sold um, magazine resubscriptions in college to make some money. Think about that. So the people that do not re-up for magazine subscriptions, I was the guy calling you on the phone. So that's my only sales experience up until that point. And then uh, he's like, congratulations, you've been, been promoted. And I was like, say what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're promoted. Good luck. And I was like, like right now? He goes, well, do you want to start Monday or today? I was like, today is good. He goes, take that office right over there. I go, I get an office. That was like, it was pretty wild. So that, that's my start in, in, in business. That, that is wild. I feel like the office was, was preset for you. You never hear about a, a situation like that. That seems um, hilarious, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, it was a different era, right? Like you had to, to kind of showcase what you were doing. There was, there wasn't an easy way to do that when you're starting out your career and to get that kind of exposure um, is awesome. And I was in the office on Saturday. You know who else was in the office? The president, the general counsel, and the CFO. And some 22-year-old kid who didn't have to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about that. It's like now, it's it's hard. I'm sitting in my, I mean, it's holiday weekend, but I'm I'm sitting in my my home. I've been in my home for 14 months. But even even before the pandemic, I wasn't going to the office on Saturday unless it was a game. Why, why would I go into the office? I have everything I need. Back then, like you didn't have everything you need. Mm-hmm. So I happened to be there. Um, and, um, you know, I was there every weekend. I, I, I loved it. And by the way, I didn't have any money. I, I couldn't go anywhere. I, I could barely have a slice of pizza for lunch. Yeah. I was living with, with six people in a three bedroom, other six other people. So it was a, it was tight, you know? So, um, but man, what, what an opportunity. Then I failed. I just failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. And, um, you know, I, I don't think you're not, you're going to know this, but like before the, there were these books called SIC code books. So it was like these big, thick red books. They were like this thick, maybe four inches thick or three okay. of them. And they listed every company in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. So I would just open it up and start calling. <laughs> like, like, was there a limitation on, on what company? Time. So was, was there a limitation on the companies? No. Like, was it just kind of like, like started calling everyone? Company. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> no, it's like. Like talk about like the worst target marketing approach in the history of mankind. I'd be like, let's do V today. And I call the V companies. And I, I, you know, I, I was, I became, because I called so many people, I had no idea what I was doing. I called yeah. so many people that um, I got really good on the phone. I couldn't close anything or sell anything, but I could, I could get through decision maker to decision maker really easily. Um, I oftentimes called at 7.30 in the morning where only the CEO was in the system could block, so they'd pick right up. And so I had a whole bunch of like tricks of the trade I kept a little scorecard for myself to humor myself how far I could get. And then Brett Yormark showed up. I don't know if you know Brett, but uh, long time exec in the business um, took Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Nets are the Brooklyn Nets because of Brett Yormark. For sure. Um, he's now running Rock Nation's um, commercial business. And I mean, you know, I sat outside his door. He's like, no, nah, you're, you're not doing something like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. 
like, you know what you're doing. He's a couple years older, three years older, I think. And he'd been selling for three years. And so I was like, let me just sit in your office and listen. He's like, I'm not having you listen to me. Like, sit. I'm like, he's like, no. I'm like, Brett, I just want to, he's one of my good friends now. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, but eventually I just sat in his office for a week and just listened to him and listened to what he said and saw that he'd like ripped out uh, magazine articles of new products or, you know, interesting activations. I was starting to learn, okay, like if people are spending money somewhere else, they're going to spend some money with us. Um, and then, um, and then I begged him to take me on a call, begged him. And, uh, and he took me on two calls and, and then I knew what I was doing. I couldn't do it still, but at least I knew what to do. And then I started getting a little lucky, you know, you work hard enough, luck finds you. And I started closing some deals and, and then didn't left shortly there. I mean, it's left a year later. Yeah. That's funny. I feel like, um, when you're starting off in that first sales role, like you're learning a lot about resilience, like you're going to get way more no's than you ever get yeses. Um, but just getting a chance to listen in to someone uh, do it before you, especially when you don't have exposure to it, has got to have been like pretty valuable for you in terms of developing your own skill set, right? Yeah, I mean, now you come into our shop now. I mean, these, are, these weren't real businesses. This is the early 90s. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I mean, when I went to the Eagles in 94, 90, 94, there were three people in sales and marketing for an NFL team. That's crazy. And I'm not talking about sponsorship sales. I'm talking sales, sales. and marketing. Yeah. yeah. Like, and you would think that like the nineties doesn't feel that long ago. That's, that's 20, 30 years ago. Now it, it doesn't feel like it's, it's pretty that far. long ago. It's, it's far. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty long ago. And now you walk in, we've got 200 people in sales and marketing. So just mm -hmm. to give you a sense, it's like, you know, so, so yes, like getting a chance to, to sit alongside and listen to Brady or Mark and, it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Um, thank goodness. Um, and then, I mean, the gift too, and then Howie Newchow was in that crew too. And, and uh, he's co-head of CAA Sports. And so I, I tell young people about those two a lot. And there are several other really talented people in that group. Mm -hmm. But what I love most about that story is like, I said, look to your left, look to your right. Help each other. Love each other. Root for each other. Like mm -hmm. you're going to wake up in 10 years or 20 years. Or 30 years, you're going to look around and your friends are going to be running this business. Like, think of how amazing that is. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere in the world and find someone I've worked with over the years. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool opportunity. And obviously, you know, deals become quicker, easier, faster, et cetera. But, but uh, I don't know. I think that's, that's the key. If you're looking for secret sauce, it's like love everybody, serve everybody, help each other, root for each other. It's not like a, it's not a race to your top. It's like how, how can we all be successful together? The more successful the people are around you, the more success you'll have. Yeah, and it's already one of the things that I, I've kind of taken away because as as you're telling me a little bit about your story, you you name dropped over a hundred people probably at this point, kind of like saying thank <laughs> you. Like I feel like um, I'm I'm in there with you, but at the same time, it's one of those things where you don't uh, realize it at the time, maybe early on in your career, but everyone around you is kind of shaping who you are, who you're developing into, and and you're not going to do it alone in terms of that career progression. So I know there's a lot of important lessons we're going to get through in, in the next little bit, but uh, just wanted to kind of say, you know, that's one of the things that I've noticed about you in terms of empowering the people around you. Um, and I think it's a big lesson that a lot of us in the sports industry are kind of um, taking as we continue our career growth. So let's get into what you're doing now, which is you've launched a book, right? Um, that's not an easy undertaking by any means, but for anyone listening, be where your feet are. There's seven principles to keep you present grounded and thriving. Um, it's an awesome read. I'm, I'm going to actually take a little bit more time and go through it again. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, when you're balancing all the work that we talked about earlier, and then you're making a book, how, how does that come about? Was that always a goal of yours? Um, and how'd you balance, you know, doing work and then also creating this? Yeah, it's a little bit more of a complicated answer, but, but a really rich question. I, I'd say that I, I spend my time now thinking about how I can be part of people's journeys. Like my, my success is often rooted in other successes. And so when you see a, a young, I got this great note from a, from a young man yesterday, Rob King, who I work with, because I I'd said in my, uh, my farewell zoom to my crew, I just said, Hey, my biggest joy, my greatest joy is, is when you came in here when you're 22 years old and now you're running something. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's truly my greatest joy. I, uh, it gives me the biggest thrill. And, uh, his name is Rob King. And, um, and so that, you know, when you, when you get to a, uh, when you, when you find success or success finds you and, and you start to think about 
you know, money's is less a factor at some point. You start, you know, I'm, I'm a chronic saver. My, my folks uh, went broke at one point. So that is terrifying in debt, you know, for me. So I, I, mm-hmm. now I've been broke before, not fun either. So I, I definitely, um, you know, save and invest money and I'm a little bit neurotic about it. So when you get to that point where it's, it's not really at that, at, you know, it's not about life or death anymore. It's not like, can I pay my bills anymore? You start to think about like, what gets you purpose? Like what's your why, if you will. And I, I know I, I want to develop the next great generation of leaders and I, and I want to leave the world better than I found it. So that's my, like, that's what I'm trying to, to be, because that's what I'm trying to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but my best friend took his own life. That's why the book's written. Like his name is Will Carden, my best friend from business school. And uh, my, you know, my family calls him Uncle Will. They call me Uncle Blue. So like we're, it's a, it's a hundred percent, like he was family. Um, and, and I spiraled into nasty grief. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. Like I didn't even know what grief was. I mean, I, I'd read about grief. Sure. But I just didn't know that you had trouble going to bed or trouble getting out of bed and break bursting into tears. I was, I was a mess, you know, and, and I started to write, I mean, like Forrest Gump ran, I write, I wrote, I just, you know, um, 250 pages. I just wrote. And I, and when I started writing was about stories that, um, cause I kept thinking like, he's never gonna, like, he's never gonna tell his kid. He had five kids, has five kids. Mm-hmm. Never gonna tell his kids. Story. They'll never hear another lesson from him. So I just started like just writing and, um, and then a friend, a good friend of mine came to see me, Randall Wright. He's written a dozen books. Actually, a much better friend of my wife's than, than he is mine. But he's, and she must have called him in knowing I was struggling. I, I haven't asked her about that, but I'm sure she did. He came in as like, hey, let's talk about purpose. Let's talk about getting you on track. How are you mm-hmm. doing? And I was like, I, you know, I've been writing. I feel better. He like reads it. He's like, Scott, you should publish this. And I was like, it's not a book. It's a journal. It's like, it's me writing about things I've learned. And he's like, what if it helps one person? And I was like, that was like the most poignant conversation I've had. I was like, yeah, what if it does help one person? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, that was the mission. And then, you know, I had like a really funny time getting an agent. Like I had, um, you know, in my line of work, I, I mean, I know most of the talent agencies. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be, you know, like a, a regular author, if you will. I don't consider myself an author or writer, but wouldn't, you know, I, I called my friends and they're running these agencies. And I'll tell you about, I won't tell you her name, but um. um I went to one of my friends set me up with this woman who's a big time agent and she reads the thing and she's like, you are not a writer. This is not a book. Nobody will ever buy it. And if anyone's dumb enough to buy it, nobody will ever read it. I was like, wow. Thank so you. This is what it's like. Being talented. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking about. Like, yeah. you know, I really now, but I never, you know, and yeah. I, I walked out and I called one of my brothers, um, Matt, I was telling the story. He was li- literally buckled up. He could not, he could not stop laughing. I go, brother, this is not that funny. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like I would want to do this. And he's like, Scott, you're not a writer. You're a salesman. Like, go mm-hmm. sell this. And I was like, right. And I was like, how do I do that? And he's like, are you kidding me? You? I was like, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> Elevated speech. He's like, yes. What's your, what's your two minute pitch? And I, I went through it. He's like, no, it's not. And so he kept rehearsing. And once I had that down and uh, I got, um, his ex-wife um, introduced me to, to uh, Jan Miller, mm-hmm. who's like discovered Stephen Covey. She's like a little elite um, agent. And then she kind of, oh, actually, I'll give you a great story about her. So kind of from a sale then. So she, um, like with my brother ringing my ear, like sell this brother, you know? So I sent it to her. We had a call. She's like, I like it. I like you. But you know, it's like agents don't really tell you the truth. They just say nice things. Mm-hmm. Like I learned that because I talked three, I've spoken to three before. And one guy said, I'll do it. I'll sell it. And I was like, man, you either believe in this or you don't like believe in me, believe in this book. And we're gonna go change the world. But like, I don't want you representing me. No, no offense. No offense. Mm-hmm. Like, so it was like that, you know, it wasn't like, you know, one person said you're awful. This will never sell. And the other guy was like, man, I can sell it. Yeah. You know, you're friends with someone. So I'll take care of it. I was like, nah. So I, I, um, so Jan was in, I think she was in Africa. Um, and I called down her office and I said, Hey, I'm going to be in Dallas on Tuesday. You know, I wasn't going to be in Dallas on Tuesday. And so she said, uh, so I was talking to her assistant. And her sister said, yeah, I'll be in. She's in. I was like, oh, great. Can I see her at 3 o'clock? She said, yep. I'm like, book the flight. My announcer. Okay. And, um, you know, so, I, yeah, and I walked in there. And she, she read the whole thing and had dog-eared and all that kind of stuff. And we talked. She's like, she looked at me. She said, just like this, this is a book. She's like, well, we need to get your writer. Like, someone has to clean this up. I was like, fantastic. I was like, I just need help. Mm-hmm. And then we hired this amazing writer, Michelle Bender, and, and the rest is history. It sold like that. Like literally St. Martin's, Tim Bartlett, sold in two seconds. 
And, um, and then, so it was, so was it easy? No. Was it a lot of time? Yeah, well, no, but I'd already done the work. And so mm -hmm. Michelle was cleaning it up and learning my voice and all that kind of stuff. But that was more fun. It's more intellectually interesting and curious. And then, and then St. Martin's and the publisher, they, they do a lot of the work. So it was good. Fun process. I, I love it. And then like when you go through the book itself, like it's all about being presentful. You know, when you think about a lot of the lessons that you've learned throughout your career, um, you, you don't just talk about the, the success, right? I think what's interesting about the book is you also just like this call, you talked a lot about, you know, kind of what the upbringing was, the, some of the failures you've had um, and what you've learned from them. So how important was it to kind of include those elements in the story? You know, when you think about the world we live in, it's all in this like Instagram filter, everything looks really nice and like perfect, but reality is we're all learning from our failures too. So, you know, how important was that to include in, in the writing here? Yeah, I think that is the book. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I was talking to my friend the other day and I'm like, all I could think of was like the Lego guy. Everything is awesome. He's one of those guys, you know? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, everything is awesome for him all the time. I don't know if it really is or not. Like, I think it's impossible. Like the rest of us, you know, you see that on Instagram. I totally agree. You see it on Facebook. And I love seeing the pictures of the kids and the trip to Maui and the kid gets into Yale. I actually love seeing it. Like I, I don't, yeah, yeah, totally. I don't have like, you know, I have only positive emotion from seeing good things happen to people. I just don't want to get suckered into thinking that that's life because life's messy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'd rather like, you know, real talk is, is tell me about the time you lost your job. Tell me about the time you ran a company into the ground. Tell me about the time you had trouble with one of your daughters. Like, cause I had all that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and I have, you, you can look at me and say, Oh, what a career. You know, I've been married. My, my wife's amazing. I've been married for 25 years to the same woman. Um, mm -hmm. Got these three amazing daughters. So from the outset, you're like, how could yeah, how he's great. Yeah, boy, I want to be him. I'm like, be careful what you wish for. You know, yeah. here comes an oncoming train, and so I've had foreclosure notices sent in my house. Like, does, you know, and so, and I don't say that because I want sympathy. And I don't say that because I'm, I'm proud. I said it because like this is the crap we have to deal with. Like yeah. that is life. And I think if if leaders can be a little more vulnerable, um, somebody out there is listening, saying like, I'm gonna be okay. And that's the, that's the yeah. whole, that's the whole idea. And I think like, when you think about the lessons we've learned in the last, what, year and a half of this pandemic, um, it, a lot of it you touch upon in the book, but at the same time, um, things like that being open, being transparent and just kind of like allowing people to see leaders in a lens that is real. Right. I think that's super important to say, you know, these folks are, are just like every, every other person in the world, they're dealing with same challenges, similar things. Um, but sometimes we, you know, when we work in the industry, we, we kind of forget about that element sometimes, right? We, we look at everyone in a different lens and it, it kind of shapes you to say, you know what, everybody's dealing with this together. It's, it's something that we're all going through, right? Yeah. No, the story popped in my head. I don't know if it's going to be relevant, although I'm going to tell you anyway. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's go. when I first got the, I first got the Madison Square Garden, I mean, present Madison Square Garden, and that's, a, that's as good a, for me, that was as good a gig as you could. I mean, I, I, I thought I'd like won the lottery. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally was like, this is amazing. This is mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I walk in and, and, and the last point of contention was I wanted them to split the media sales group from the sponsorship group. Okay. Because I thought you could unlock a lot of value that way. And that was a, that was a, a very, it's very, it was a discussion that was wrapped up in a lot of emotion, a lot of old things and, 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 and I didn't, I didn't know what was happening on their side. I just knew that like to unlock value, to put a billion dollars into a building, we're going to have to separate this because the deals have to be done very differently with different clients, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, so eventually we did. So I walk in on the first day, I'm just happy to be there, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, they walk me around the sales floor on the sponsorship sales floor where the media guys were. And they're like, Oh, tell me who you want as your sellers. I'm like, uh, all right, can I have a few minutes? So I call on my friends, have a new chat. And I was just like, Hey, you know anybody at MSG? He's like, not really. I was like, no, you don't know any sellers there. He's like, one guy used to work for me at the Staten Island Yankees. Adam Davis is pretty sharp. And I was like, huh. All right. So I went back down the room. I was like, okay. You know, so I was just walking around introducing myself to people. I don't even know what I'm looking for. Like, how do you know? I'm like, can I see a sales report? They're like, well, Scott, I mean, you're supposed to be the guru. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not the guru. You know, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not a guru. What I do is, you know, I recruit, 
exceptional people and I create a culture where they can serve thrive. That's what I, I'm not, I don't, I don't know anything about anything except for people. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, no, you're supposed to be the best guy. We had to split this up. I was like, no, no, no. I thought this was the best way to unlock value. And I just wanted to make sure I had a hand in it. They're like, you know, and I understand like territories and politics and all that crap. So I'm walking around looking at people and I come back and I was like, all right, you know, I just want one, uh, two guys. Um, I want um, that guy and Adam Davis. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's like, that is Adam Davis. <laughs> <laughs> so I was it. like, all right, well then I'll take him. <laughs> and uh, I hand up, obviously, you know, he's being, you know, he's one of the elite deal makers in the world. And um, so it's kind of funny, like going back, and the reason why I was going, going into the story is, is like, he, he just has a gift. Um, when, when I'm going through a tough time, um, I have a hard time putting my heart anywhere but my sleeve, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty clear. I can never play poker, for example. Like I, I'd be the worst poker player. I'd be like, you know, <laughs> fixed on. It's like, okay, he has a good yep. hand. This He's a good wonderful. hand. Or I'd be doing, you know, my hands over my head. They're like, uh, okay, we're going to take his lunch money. So I, I'm that guy. Like, you yeah. know, I am. And, and Adam is one of those people in life where he, he reaches out. And so, uh, so during the pandemic, you know, I think we were, we were, we all had times where we were in the tank and, uh, him, Jake Reynolds is another one. Um, they just know when to call Jake, the president of the devils. They just know when to call and reach out and say, Hey, are you okay? Is there anything you need? Mm-hmm. And I think we all need more of that. I mean, I, yeah. I, um, I do this exercise when I talk to groups and I've been fortunate through this book process to talk to some really incredible, like AstraZeneca, Google, Northern Trust, Big Bank, called Investors mm-hmm. Bank. So, I mean, I, I'm in front of like their leadership teams. It's pretty a, a, a humbling opportunity. And I, and I always start with the same thing. I always say, pick your phone up. And I know what they're thinking. They're like, they know that be where your feet are is put your phone down, get your head up. Like, that's what it is. It's about put, I said, bring your phone up. I said, let's, let's send a, a note to your mom. I want you to tell her, just send her a text, take you 60 seconds. And I want you to tell her that, um, that you love her, one thing you appreciate about her, and one thing you learn from her. And it's 60 seconds. And I, I, they do it and they go. And I always make this joke, and I, it's, it's true, but I, when the first time I did it with my mom, she said, Hon, are you okay? That was her response back. <laughs> She's and, like, uh, Scott, what's going on? This isn't, this isn't right, normal. This isn't normal stuff. I challenge them to do 30, 30 days of gratitude. I just say, for 60 seconds, they wake up in the morning, send, send a text to someone you love and know. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, like, and not just your mom and your dad, and, and that stuff's important, but also, like, people you work for, mentor, teacher, coach, people that work for you, people that you work for, all people in your ecosystem, or someone just pops in your head, and you send them a note. And that's the kind of stuff during the pandemic that made a difference and can make a difference going forward, mm-hmm. um, which I absolutely love. And then I spent a lot of time talking about this, a, a, a relatively simple formula, um, but it was uh, do something for your mind, something for your body, something for your soul every day. Get sleep, practice gratitude, and then um, be where your feet are. Put your phone down, get your head up. And, and that's like... You know, and then I, to, to go through that with my with my staff, literally once a week for 14 months, mm-hmm. I pounded them over and over mercifully. Like, if you're not going to work out now, you will never work out in your life. Take your commute time. Wake up in the morning. Go for a walk. Just mm-hmm. 20 minutes. And then stretching our minds beyond our business. What happens in this business, as you know, is you just read everything you can on this business. you got like the three yeah. newsletters, front office sports and Sportico and SBJ, whatever else you have in your queue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you feel like, you know, I'm good. And I'm saying, no, no, go read about blockchain or 5G. You don't have to read about those two things, but I'm interested in those two. But yeah. Or read about life sciences or geopolitical, like learn, you know, and it's so easy now. This, this podcast is a great example. Listen to a podcast, watch a TED talk, get yourself in the game and learn something every day. One thing outside of your work. And then the soul stuff, which is really complicated to talk about at work. Um, so it's like scripture, prayer, church, that stuff. Um, I typically, I just say, hey, that's what I do. But what mm-hmm. I want people, what I advise people to do is find some stillness, just meditate or like go for a walk in the woods or listen to the birds or yoga, whatever people, some people run and find that like, you know, that stillness. Um, and then sleep, man. I, when I was growing up, there's sleeps for the week, you know, money never sleeps, all that stuff. And I, I'm a big believer. You have to get your, your, your sleep in. We've had plenty of experts come in and tell our players the same thing. So, um, and then the gratitude part's really easy. Uh, we have a you know, sign in our kitchen that says, um, it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people. It's grateful people who are happy. Mm-hmm. And I think, I you that. know, I, th- I think it does more for you, the sender than it actually does for the receiver. 
And then get your phone down and put some rules in place and get some discipline and stop looking at your phone at midnight and checking, you know, Twitter, scrolling through or watching TikTok well, videos. Let's talk, all about, the let's talk about that for a second. Because I feel like as a millennial myself, it's always a struggle, to, like, especially during the pandemic, when you're always in front of a computer, you're always kind of in front of a phone. You know, what do you think the key is to kind of finding that stillness and that presentfulness that you talked about earlier? when you know that there's, you know, you're talking to someone, something rings on your phone or you get a message, like how do you find that stillness so that it's easier for people that aren't used to it? Yeah. Well, first off, you got to turn off all the notifications on your phone. Oh, just go in your notifications and just hit off to every single one. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless you're um, working in an emergency room, then keep them on. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we are not splitting atoms in this business. We're not, we're not saving lives. We, we have purpose. You know, we have purpose. We, our purpose is to bring people together and to create moments and memories. And whether you're selling sponsorships or you're in activation, or you're selling tickets or servicing, or you're in ops or you're running a building, all that stuff, our purpose, our why is really clear. It's like, mm-hmm. we are creating community. We're creating connection. We're, you know, high-fiving perfect strangers, hugging the person standing next to them. This is, that, that's the business we're in. Um, and I, I, I will say that, you know, I think it was that someone told me this yesterday. I don't know if it's true. So the average person like, hits unlock on their phone 200 or 200 times a day. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Like the it's expectation crazy. can't be that when someone sends you a text, you have to respond in the next 15 seconds. Can't be, that can't be the expectation. It's not realistic. So mm-hmm. I would say like for me, take, I took all my notifications off, which is really helpful. Um, secondly, I have process, you know, like at some point you turn off, like if your phone is in your bedroom, you are making a mistake. You wake up at 2.30 in the morning, you got to go to the bathroom, what's the first thing you do to lift your phone? Check your phone, yeah. I'm like, why? Like, get an alarm clock. It's not complicated, honestly. Get it yeah. out of reach. It's bad for you. And, you know, the thing is, we have screens on all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. not anti-tech. I'm not anti I love millennials, by the way. You know, you guys are <laughs> the great generation. Um, Thank you. But, uh, but, but I, I, I do worry. Like, I, you know, we have no phone zones in our house. I mean, I have three daughters. I have a 21-year-old daughter. She comes home. She's like, I don't The rules don't apply to me. They go, I said, they do in this house, huh? She's like, I don't have to do that when I go to school. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. But here you do. And so you come to the dinner table with no phones. Like, we, I want to talk. How about in the office? Like, we have a, we have, we had uh, <laughs> a table. I don't work there anymore. But um, phone table, you come into a conference room, check your phone. Because mm-hmm. before the meeting is as important as the meeting. After the meeting, as important as the meeting. Mm-hmm. But we just walk from meeting to meeting. Everyone looks like this. Head down. Mm-hmm. Walking as fast as they can, checking their phone. It's going to be okay. Like, seriously. We need process, 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 process in life and at work. And by the way, there's some period of time at night. Um, our experts will say 45 minutes before we want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But you got you to gotta get off that screen. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from a lot of folks. So like, right, you know, that first, the, the hour before you're going to bed, you just kind of got to cut off all screen time, maybe read a book, do something that like kind of calms you down, finds the stillness that we were talking about earlier. But it's such a habitual nature for a lot of us to just keep that phone beside us, use that as an alarm clock. And it kind of just, um, you know, it builds this, this practice of a lot of people doing what you're telling us not to do and, and what we probably shouldn't do, which is checking our phones all the time. Yeah. How about this? Like, have you been out? Like, you know, I mean, pandemic was uh, a lonely and isolating time for a lot of us. Sure. And those yeah. of us that love people, I'm one, I, I love people. So it, it was hard. And then we got a couple of reprieves depending on when people were vaxxed, et cetera. So like how many times you out to dinner and it's like, I haven't seen you in a month. Four mm-hmm. of my friends, and they're all on their phones. I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. We just had 14 months to be on our phones. Mm-hmm. Keep them in your freaking cars. Like, go to dinner. I promise you that that TikTok video will be there when you get back. I promise. <laughs> I promise you that whatever happens on Twitter, you can scroll and see it later. It's not that interesting anyway. And so I, I think yeah. we, we, have to, we have to self-regulate uh, for one. And we have to help others. We have to give each other feedback. Because um, yeah, I'm far from perfect, by the way, of course. Uh, but but we have to be okay to love love our friends and family enough to tell them. Hey Scott, so w- w- was there an aha moment for you when like you realized some of these elements? So for example, working in the sports industry, you know it's long nights, it's evenings, it's it's all these things that keep you online a lot of times because you never know what's going to happen game night or even the lead up to. Um, you know w- what was that moment that made you kind of realize like you got to be more present, you got to be more still. 
Yeah. I mean, first off, you know, I have three daughters and they're growing up really fast and they're growing up with phones in their hands. So, so I, I you know, so that's a, that's a good, so I, there's not as aha, but there, there, there are storylines. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's always something to read in our business, you know, come home after games, especially if you have two teams and concerts and reports coming in late, et cetera. Um, and then I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've read quite a bit. You can imagine um, social dilemma. If people haven't seen that, you should, mm-hmm. I think it's on Netflix. That is a must watch and horrifying to watch. Mm-hmm. So that'll, that'll slap you into reality. And then my wife's a great, she's a, she's true serum. She's 100% cold, cold hearted truth serum. So uh, <laughs> and she'll be, you know, I'll be on my phone. She's like, I'll wait. I will wait. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Lisa, it's the, you know, we're on, I'm just checking this. I said, I know what you're doing. If that's more important in our conversation, keep your phone going. Just tell me. I'll walk away. I'll wait though. I was like, uh, you know, so I, I think I've had plenty of those moments in my life where um, coming home, I've learned a discipline that when I'm home, I have to be home. I have to be a dad. I have to be a father. Um, I have to be a husband. And, um, you know, I've, I've had plenty of like incredible engagement with YPO. Anybody's listening and they have a chance to ever join Young Presidents Organization, they should join. It's a, it's a brilliant network of presidents and CEOs all over the world. And, um, and we learn a lot from each other. So, uh, so that, that's been a good, good. And then um, get curious. Get curious about your mental health. You want to get curious about mental health, you'll be putting your phone down a lot more. And by the way, as we talk, I have mm-hmm. three screens right now. It's really interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Four, actually. You have the one behind my, on my left shoulder. Pretty wild. Um, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the last year and a half. You kind of talked a little bit about this before. But uh, there was a lot of isolation, right? And then when you think about, you know, let's say the culture at HBSC and, 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 you know, the 76ers and the devils and all the teams that you manage um, it requires a lot of collaboration requires a lot of people, you know, in terms of standard practice, we were all getting together all the time. And so losing that for an element of time, you know, for, from your perspective, how do you kind of find your internal calmness throughout that last year and a half, knowing, you know, there's no real certainty with the sports industry right now. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, and then how did you kind of maintain culture, like to kind of make sure that everyone else was kind of finding that stillness as well. So take me through the last year and a bit and just, you know, how'd you find yeah, that? Sure will. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not sure calmness is the word still. I found my stillness for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the beginning was there was a lot of intensity around, you know, how long this was going to last. Remember when we first shut down, we're like, we'll be back in two weeks, two mm-hmm. weeks. That, that was the yeah i remember that it was it felt like an extended march break almost yeah right we're like woohoo let's go home this will be fun um so so uh we, we have a really young team and so so generally we were focusing on uh communication structure and mental health were the three things that we focused on almost every day mm-hmm. um for the early months uh i was you know i had my management my, my leadership team on the phone every morning then we eventually about six months in ramped it back to three days. And then a month later, took it back to two days. And that's where we, we were standing until I took off mm-hmm. last week. So, so um, the one practice we did that I'm, I, I think saved a lot of us is we had for every meeting, we had a different executive assigned to a different leadership exercise. And uh, it could be as simple as, pull a photo out of your photos that, that represents you and your best self. It could be send one quote that represents your state of being right now. It could be, um, here's a, a Ted talk. I want you to watch it. And I want you to reply to the group as to how it might impact you at home and at work, stuff like that and every day. So that's every day for six months, we're getting these leadership exercises. And the, the idea was to take it from that, like the top 15 people take that and they're punching those down to their team. So you're getting communication, you're getting kind of sign in, you're getting, so, so that was the thing that I think was really helpful and, um, and created some impact. Um, and then we were aware, we're taking care of each other. And there's such a gift to, to work with people you love, like, and respect. And so, you know, I mentioned, you know, Jake and, and Adam reaching mm-hmm. out to me several times and, you know, you come on and, and somebody's got their, you know, has their zoom on, you can just see their, barely see their eyes and they have their mm-hmm. hat pulled down low. And there are others when their video's off you know, which is a no-no in our place. So, um, or their voicemail box is full. And we're like, are you guys, are we aware? 
let's be aware, you know? So there was a little extra vigilance there. Um, and then we, we had fun. I mean, we did talent shows. We had a lot of fun. I mean, they were, they were fun. We made it as fun as you can make it. And, and I was talking to a really dear friend of mine who runs a big pharmaceutical company. And she was saying that she just got her scores back and they were the work, her culture scores back. We all get them. And they were the worst she'd ever seen. And I said, I said, so it's okay. They're going to be really bad. It's okay. It's, it's, we've, we've been apart. People are anxious. People are uncertain. Um, people are, have some mental health issues. They're worried about coming in. They're worried about childcare. They're worried about transitioning. They can't, you know, I said, we're, it's going to be okay. We're all going to level out and level in. But, but now as leaders and managers, like this, this is not time to give people space. It's time to engage like right now, like let's bring them back differently. Yeah. And, and you, you know what, there's, there's a reality that sometimes the, the ball doesn't bounce your way. You can only control what's around you um, and, and kind of your outlook on it. So I think, you know, even when I go back like uh, to game seven of the, of the Sixers series two years ago, Kawhi hit that shot four or five bounces. It didn't bounce the, the way for the Sixers, um, but you kind of have to take that learning and, and whatever happens there and then apply it to, you know, how you want to approach things moving forward, right? And I think when you think about um, some of those situations and, and you're faced with challenges, you know, how do you, how do you approach it? Like even one example I was thinking through is, you know, when, when you were with the Sixers um, and, and you drafted Joel Embiid, you drafted Ben Simmons, but the injuries at the beginning of their careers were kind of like very uncertain and very long. So, you know, it's, when you're dealing with a situation like that, how, how do you approach some of those challenges that you're, you have uncertainty around? Do you have a little bit of a playbook? Do you just kind of like take me through your approach mentally as you deal with some of those things? Yeah, sure. So uh, as we call it the Mother's Day Massacre um, in Toronto, I was actually <laughs> up there with my, my wife, Lisa, and my, my three daughters. Um, that was that was a moment. That was a moment. Um, you know, I, I'd never heard, I'd never heard a crowd quite that loud before. And I, I've heard some loud crowds. Not, I've been in some some buildings and some games that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was that was. I think I, I'm almost sure I should check, but I, I'm almost sure I took my phone out after the shot and I just videoed the crowd because I wanted to remember the moment. Not not not. It wasn't a, a good moment. It was an awful moment. But that team, you know. JJ Reddick and Jimmy Butler and Joel and Ben Tobias. That was we were the best team in the league. I, I agree. And that that's and, and then Golden State goes down with injury. That's the only reason Golden State was the best team in the league, but they were down with injuries. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that was that was our chance. I thought this year we were the best team in the league. Um, and so that's hard because you work so hard, um, blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point. You don't have many chances. Mm-hmm. And um and forget about the five steps you took because that's irrelevant, right? Because that's how many Kawhi took to, to get open. But either way, who am I to judge? I hit a big time shot, but <clears throat> um, but but I, I will say that that there's there's something to the raw emotion. I, I my daughter is interning with the Utah Jazz and um and lo- has loved it. Like I mean, she grew up in this business. All my kids have grown up in this business, and mm-hmm. it's really interesting. They don't, you know. I'll take you back. Like I remember. They love Taylor Swift. I, and I grew up in a, I'm a dad, I'm a girl dad. So um, I remember I asked Jay Marciano, who runs AEG's music now, but he was at MSG with me. I was like, hey, Taylor Swift's coming. Is there any way my kids can meet her? And I've never done that. This is not my thing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. hop over lines. I don't give extra access. I, I, the access I give people is like, hey, this is the coolest experience in the world. Like, come get it. But I, I don't do that kind of meet and greet stuff. And he's like, of course. And I was like, oh, great. So I don't tell my daughters we go to the concert. And before I'm like, hey, let's just get there a little early. They walk in and they see Taylor Swift. And my oldest, who's, she was probably 10, she's 21 now. She's probably, I don't know, 10 or eight. She like burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And I was like, now they've been around like NBA stars since they could breathe. I mean, at all-star games, walking fast. I mean, like nothing. I mean, I remember my daughter a few years ago was in a, in a, elevator with Kobe Bryant and I'm like looking at her and she's like hey Kobe you know <laughs> there's not you know what I mean it's, it's just it's different they just grew up in locker rooms not in locker rooms per se but like in environments with players hockey and basketball but when I saw like that rock star thing I was like whoa 
okay, you know, mm -hmm. this is what it's like for the, you know, the world to see like that kind of reaction. And like, we hold this incredibly special place in the world. We meaning we, the industry, the industry or yeah. we, mm -hmm. the stars, or we, the, the team, or we, the players are, mm -hmm. and, um, it's hard for them. Like, and so when we have those moments of high energy, I told my daughter, like, she, the jazz got knocked out. She was telling me all year that we're going to win a championship. But dad, you're not watching us enough. And we're really good. And, you know, we're going to beat you. And wouldn't that be fun? I'm like, no, that wouldn't be fun to lose. No. Um, but anyway, so she calls after they get knocked out. She's, she's hysterical crying. And I said, her name's Alexa. I said, Lex, um, you have to decide if you want this. She's like, this is the worst feelings, the worst I ever felt. And I was like, yeah, but you either love that or you turn around right now, you walk out the door and you never look back. But I was like, I love it. Now, do I love getting knocked out with the best team in the league, a chance to win a championship for the first time, you know, in an away arena when everyone's saying terrible things about your, your players who you feel like you're, they're your family? Yes, mm -hmm. that's no, it's not. It's not good. But, but I love the emotion. I love the thrill. I love the energy. I love the that fact that it matters and you can change a community and impact people's lives in days and weeks and that stuff that is the rush of this build this business and and so so how do i deal with it i i i love it like i but i love the hurt i love the emotion i like i'm someone who likes to feel mm. you know mm -hmm. um most people know me know I, I cry i laugh I, every day you know and so i i don't i don't try to to manage it or manipulate it um and i and i have this thing i do which is going to sound so ridiculous but i'm going to tell you anyway is that at 12 noon i just i call it like that's i have till 12 noon the next day if i'm gonna be miserable it ends at 1201 you know so um i was miserable and then i wasn't and it's not that it's i just don't carry that sadness there's not it's not you know it's like worrying you know i, I would say um I have one of my daughters particularly like anxious, mm -hmm. um, just social anxiety and all this, all this stuff she wrestles with. And I, I would say to her like, Hey, I, I just, how I deal with it. You know, it's like, if I can do something about it, I do it. Sure. And if I can't, I stop worrying about it. You know, like, it's easy for you to say dad, you know? And I was like, no, it's actually, that's how I deal with it. I mean, like we all need kind of structure for ourselves. And so there's nothing you can do. Somebody hits a big time shot. You know, maybe one of the most iconic shots in the history of the league, or maybe other than Jordan over Russell. It's up there. It's up there um, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard, though. And fun. Yeah, I feel like when you got the lows, you can't get too low personally. When you got the highs, you can't get too high. You just kind of got to control what's in your surroundings, like you said, um, and, and really understand where you can have an impact and actually play a role in, in changing something. So I think um, – it's something you learn over time. It can't be something, you know, when you're early stages, if she's starting her career with the jazz right now, like it, it, it definitely takes time. So um, oh, it's sure. good to see both sides for sure. Um, I must Scott, rather win. No, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, when, okay. So when you think about your team, you know, at HBC, at HS, HBSC for the last eight years, um, you know, you brought on the first esports team, you announced the first Jersey patch deal. Um, was there something about like, you know, the way you approached your work with, with your team there about being first to an area or first to market versus, you know, identifying white space. Like how did you approach some of those things when you think about those newer territories you were exploring? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, here's the, here's the dirty secret. So I, I, I've, I've taken some hits, like not, in the media, but some of the media members have told my team um, that they, they don't like that, that we're showboating or that we're, and I was like, uh, kind of. Like, that's the way you get deal flow. Like, that's the way you attract attention from other sponsors. That's the sure. way people call you and say, will you buy my company? Like, yes, I guess showboating is a way to say it, but like, you know, when we did that stub up deal, first Jersey patch, we were on CNBC, CNN, Fox Business, um, ABC, ESPN. We were everywhere in the world. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not because we're like ghost Sixers. We're like ghost of hope, you know? And so there's a, there's a difference there, you know, there, at least for me is like, you can create um, millions, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars of value um, by being out first. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about how we create values for partners that way. Um, when I got here, we were last in the league in sponsorship and we're not last in the league anymore. You know, I tell you, and we've, we've grown that business. I think it'll be this year will be somewhere close to like 14 times. than when we walked in 14 uh-huh. times, that's bro. over eight years span. That's over eight that's years. Wild, yeah. now, now listen, that's a really small base. So it's like, as my, as my dad used to say, you have a dollar, you give me $2, you get a hundred percent growth. Yeah, so yeah, I, so sure. I, I, you know, but, but it was a low base, but still that's, yeah. that's obnoxious growth. So, so it, it's a, you know, I, I think that we were, you know, we don't own our own, we didn't own our own building in for the Sixers. We do for the Devils, of course, or did they do, mm-hmm. um, we, they just pronouns. Um, and, uh, it's going to be hard for me. It I takes, it takes some eventually. time getting used to, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's still family to me. I, I love, love the group. Um, but I, but I, I think about that. So, so yes, we like to be um, innovative and we wanted to be first a lot um, in one, you know, in, on one end for deal flow and then on the other end to, to drive value for our partners. Uh, but yeah. that, you know, that it's also not easy. You make a lot of mistakes. I mean, we make plenty of mistakes. So you get out first, you want to, you want to put your, your head out there, your neck out there, like, you know, look for that oncoming train goes, here it comes. So, uh, so yeah, we, we chipped and fell several times too, but, but I, I think, being able to go pitch to partners like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go drive this global message. It's pretty mm-hmm. powerful. No, I love that. I, okay. So I, I know we, we don't have that much time left, but I do want to talk about two things. One is mentorship, right? You mentioned so many different people that helped your career. And, and as you elevated, you obviously worked with a lot of these people and became great friends now, but you know, when you think about mentorship, especially early stages in your career, how important was that? Did it come organically? Was it something you sought out to, to kind of say, I want you as my mentor? Like, how did that kind of to work in your head? No, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing. I happened to either, it's either just blind, dumb luck, or I just happened to work for amazing people. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mentioned Brett and Howie, my friends there, John Spolstra, and then Joe Banner ended up being a longtime president of the, of the Eagles. Len Kamras, who's still CEO of the Cavaliers. I didn't work for these guys when they were the big bosses. I worked for them when they were coming up. But, mm-hmm. but I worked for a lot of people who ran companies. And so while I was young and they were young, younger. And so, man, that was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, I, I think about Seth Berger, who works, runs our innovation lab. I mean, one of the elite, elite leaders of our time. Um, Bernie Mullen, who went, went on to run the Hawks and Thrashers and now runs his own own company, worked for him at the NBA. Adam Silver. I'm like, I mean, it's kind of a it's a it's a who's who list mm-hmm. of of who you'd want to work for in your life. I mean, that's pretty awesome. But I, I, I didn't have a, a big strategy or or tactic. I I I think one thing that was helpful is, is that I'm a good teammate. Like my, you know. I'd say that that people that don't know me very well would say like that guy is confident, meaning overconfident. Mm-hmm. And the people that know me really well would say he's one of the one of the most humble people they know. So it, you know, it's really interesting. So I, I have a, a different public persona sometimes than my my authentic self. And I think that the people I worked for got to know my authentic self, and they know I'm a I'm a teammate. I I want them. And I say that I say to people who work for me, like your success is my success, my success is your success. Like that, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. I mean, it takes a village to do anything these days. You can't do anything by yourself. Anything, and if you can, um, if it can't go for you, I just haven't. I haven't been able to do anything myself without extraordinary people. So I, I think that that helped create bonds. Like I never wanted my boss's jobs. I wanted them to be successful, and I wanted to be successful. And in turn, it it, it unlocked them wanting me to be successful. And it's wonderful when someone's rooting for your success. I feel like you could do anything in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, I kind of have this uh, phrase that my mom talked about uh, like a while back, which is um, you can't do anything t- yourself, right? Like you can't do everything yourself, but it's, you, you can lie to yourself, right? If you, if you think you can, 
right? So it's one of those things where. Right. Um, oh, that's good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's my yeah. mom's uh, wisdom there. But it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you you think about all the people that you like you worked with in your career as they developed. Um, a lot of those relationships came organically, but they come with putting other people first. And and kind kind of going back to what your book talks about is which is being where your feet are, right? Being present in those moments with your teammates, getting to know them on, on levels outside of just work. Um, there's, there's a lot of different lessons that, you know, obviously your book touches upon that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. But I kind of want to leave you with one question, which is um, for those people that haven't read your book, right? Just give us a quick summary of, of what it's all about. You've talked a little bit about it throughout the podcast, but um, what's something they can look forward to? What's something that they want to learn about um, that your book kind of talks to you as you take us through your stories. Yeah, the book's about purposeful living and being the best version of yourself. Um, it, it walks you through how to, through different exercises after each chapter and through stories. So it's a quick read. If if you read like, it's written for books like that I like. So it's, you know, you, you read a story, get a lesson, get an exercise. That, that's, that is the book. And it, it's not just me. It's stories from really interesting people who, from different walks of life who have, who have stories to tell. I would say that it's gonna sound, I'm, I'm trying to couch this in a way that, that I'm not patting myself on the back. The world needs this book. I, I just, I'll tell you like this book or other books like it, like we have to connect and understand and better identify with who we are and and where we're strong and when we're, when we're struggling. And we need tools to get better and healthier. Mm-hmm. And we need connection. And I think this book provides some of that. So I, I, it's been a journey getting here. Some of the notes have been really humbling, but I want more people to read it. And um, and if you're reading it, find me on LinkedIn, send me a note. I'd love to hear what you say. And if you are um, if you want to write a book, find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to help you go through the process too. But thanks for this time. It was wonderful. It was very, very insightful. Yeah, of course, Scott. I, I think we're, we're obviously uh, very pleased and excited to talk about your book, but also just have you on the pod. This was, was a great conversation. Learned a lot about your career, a lot about the stories and the people that have impacted you, but also the people you've impacted. So really appreciative of your time and um, let's do it again soon, man. As always, thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and the sponsorship space on LinkedIn to join and engage with our community. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a great day.